There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm the most scientific, the most artistic, the most creative. I'm the greatest scientific fighter of all time. Welcome to the history of the heavyweight championship, a podcast series from Yahoo with me, Steve Bunce. And I thought I don't get knocked out. In this continuing series, I will look at one year in the sports history, the main fighters, their great nights, their failures, and the dramatic and crazy changes in the sport that took place during the 70s. The white uppercut did the job. I don't think he's going to make it, friend. This is the history of the heavyweight championship. Every one of the main fighters. It is the decade of champions. In 1971, the fight of the century took place at Madison Square Garden on the 8th of March. Joe Frazier was the unbeaten world heavyweight champion and Muhammad Ali was the unbeaten former world heavyweight champion. It was a unique fight. The world of sport demanded it. The boxing world needed it. I predict that when I meet Joe Frazier, this will be like a good amateur fighting a real professional. This will be like a kid out of the Olympics meeting the fastest heavyweight champion that ever lived. He will be easy to hit. He will not be as much trouble or as awkward as Oscar Bonavino. Joe Frazier, this will go down. I predict that the fans will be angry. They'll be mad at the uh, 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 critics. They'll be mad at the experts for misleading them so much. One more thing, with the commissioner here and the whole world of authority, I beat Sonny Liston twice, and they wasn't convinced. We know that they, they, it's all over. Let me finish. Now you ain't fighting Sonny Liston. You talk about to me. No, you, no, you listen. You listen now. Let me now. finish something. No, no, listen to you. Look, I'm the champ. You, you ain't. You listen. You the champ. Right on. Now listen. Right. What do you say, Joe? Joe? What do you say to that? I'd say he's nothing but a bunch of noise. That's all. He's going way back in the time of, let's say, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? This is the day, man. You understand? I just want to You're not fighting Glory. You're not fighting... Oscar Bonavena, you're not fighting Sonny Liston, you fighting Joe Frazier. Everybody knows that's, that's not the point. That's the point. Yo, what's what? your prediction? My prediction, the fight wouldn't go the distance. Oh, it won't I'll go stop it. Stop me. You. How soon? What round? Look, don't, anyway, don't, don't let him obligate you. One to ten, agitated. you be He's out agitated. there. I will let you be out Sonny Liston is all over. Now you ain't the champ. Hey, you listen for the champ. How you gonna do this? The two boxers would make a guarantee of $2.5 million each. Never had a purse in the old game been anywhere near that excessive total. It was the highest purse ever paid to a boxer, and it was being paid to both. The promoters, however, expected to gross in excess of $40 million. They were not wrong. Boxing insiders and the business world laughed at the projected figures. This was not a normal fight. It was the single most spectacular event in sports history, wrote Peter Hamill, journalist and author. The fighters had agreed terms just before New Year in late 1970. The two promoters, Jerry Paranchio and Jack Kent Cook, 
had somehow found a deal from the relentless negotiations and had come up with the incredible sums of money to make the seemingly impossible happen. Parenchio was a Hollywood guy, a super agent to the movie world's most glittering stars, with Marlon Brando, Jane Fonda, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor on his books. He had not met either of the boxers until they sat down in New York. Now that is a shot in the dark. Kent Cook owned the LA Lakers and a lot of other West Coast businesses. He had met Ali. Madison Square Garden found the necessary half a million dollars to make the $5 million offer a reality. This was jaw-dropping cash, make no mistake. It's potentially the greatest single grocer in the history of the world. It's like gone with the wind. It's the Mona Lisa, said Perenchio. It was a little bit special. In the end, 369 cinemas in America and Canada screened the fight live on closed circuit. The garden sold out, of course, with exactly 20,455 tickets sold. The celebrities came out again. Dustin Hoffman, who had been running in camp with Ali, was a late dressing room visitor. Diana Ross was there again. Burt Lancaster was part of the broadcast team and... Probably most famously, Frank Sinatra was the official ring photographer for Life magazine. Old Blue Eyes actually had a press pass and took the Life front cover picture. Well, that's just one of the stories. And believe me, it was a night of tall towels. The build-up had been predictably fantastic. Ali was a celebrity on the streets of the world, wrote Robert Lipsight in the New York Times. Ali liked Lipsight. He was younger. A lot of the press, the older press, still did not like Ali. It goes back to the days when Clay's posturing and preening and rancid verse and self-praise began to make total strangers yearn to see him stopped with a fistful of knuckles. Fraser is the first candidate conceded a chance to accomplish this, wrote syndicated columnist Red Smith. Smith had been in the writing game since the late 1920s. Ali did have some real enemies. There was a lot of pressure placed on the garden management by veterans groups, men that had served in foreign wars, and the press went along merrily for the ugly ride. Ali, however, did give some serious content to the newspaper men when he started to question Frazier's blackness. Ali, in his charming and shrewd way, will paint Frazier as the standard bearer for white bigots. It's a cruel and unworthy thing he does. Dick Young in the New York Daily News. It is slanderous and cruel, but Ali's lie is still encouraged. Frazier is an honest man who is not a racial opportunist. He is black and just as proud of it as Ali. Jimmy Cannon, syndicated columnist and Second World War veteran and correspondent. Frazier received threats, death threats. The police in Philadelphia were involved, treated the threats seriously. Joe Frazier, the heavyweight champion of the world, had to relocate his family. This was war, not just a fight. It was cynical, an attempt to make me feel isolated. He said that 98% of the black people in this country are for him, Frazier said in his autobiography in 1996. The figures were mumbo-jumbo, invented, crazy, but they stuck. Ali was doing his job, selling the fight. Frazier just wanted to fight, not talk. Uh, He called you a good street fighter. Does that make you mad? Don't make me mad at all. How do you rate him as an opponent? I think he's a good fighter. 
You making any forecasts about the fight? What do you mean forecasts? You're going to win? Sure. In how many? One to ten. You're going to win. By a knockout, okay. you say? By a yeah, knockout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The press office at Madison Square Garden approved 760 members of the media and refused 500. Once again, the big fight attracted big people, masters of the screen and music, mafia bosses, gangsters, fur-coated pimps, politicians, celebrities from all of the legal and illegal trades. It was a grand posse of the world's finest, gathered for one night only in boxing's ancient citadel to witness the fight of the century. In Britain, the tickets at cinemas in central London, Cardiff, Manchester and Leicester were on sale for between £1.50 and £5.25. The lights went down on the cinema aisles as the men walked to their destiny in New York. It is hard to imagine the feeling that night. The night before the fight, Ali called Frazier for a chat. This actually happened. Ali was often bored before fights. Sitting in his hotel room, Gene Kilroy, his friend and facilitator, at his side. Joe Frazier, you ready? he asked. There was a pause. I'm ready, brother, replied Frazier. That was it. The talking was over. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was a great fight. Fraser put the pressure on from the first bell. Ali did keep moving. They were both hurt, both marked up. Ali had a good ninth round. Fraser a really big 11th. There was bedlam throughout. It was close going into the 15th and last round. Most people had Fraser up by a round or two as the bell to start the final round sounded. The crowd stood, clapped the pair to centre ring. Round 15 was epic. It remains the fastest three minutes of boxing I have ever witnessed. I had to put a stopwatch on it to check, and it is 180 seconds. Actually, I make it 179 seconds. It is breathtaking. Ali starts with a jab and a right cross. Frazier parries the punches, moves in, forcing Ali back. And then after just 27 seconds, Frazier lands his left hook. Arguably the greatest left hook in boxing history. And down goes Ali. His legs up in the air. His eyes wide. Wow, there were two and a half minutes left. How can Ali survive? Can he even get up from the knockdown? The referee, Arthur McCanty, sends Frazier to a neutral corner and turns round to start his count. And Ali is up. 
I never had time to pick up the count. Ali was up in three seconds, said McCanty. There is a standing eight count and it lasts exactly eight seconds. And then they continue fighting. Ali looks groggy. Frazier lands the exact same shot, a left hook. But Ali is able to just lean back a fraction and take some of the power away. Ali holds. Frazier mercilessly hits away at the body. At the 60-second mark, there are still two minutes left. Frazier lands with a brutal right cross. Ali's legs dip. Ali moves, flicks out a jab. Then at the 90-second mark, Frazier lands with another crunching left hook and Ali's head swivels violently to the side. But he stays up. It is relentless. In the last minute, Ali makes Frazier miss and counters again and again. It is a remarkable recovery. And then the bell ends the drama. The fight of the century is over. I don't remember going down, only being down, Muhammad Ali. I promised him the ring would get smaller and I would get bigger, Joe Frazier. Joe stayed on me, always on my chest. From out of nowhere, he'd throw the hook, Muhammad Ali. The two judges and McCanty, who was the third judge in the fight, delivered their scores. Frazier, 9-6. Frazier, 11-4. And Frazier, 8-6 with one even. The final score, the closest score, was from McCanty. He ain't the greatest. He's been kidding himself and the world all these years. I shut his big mouth, Frazier insisted that night. The taunting was over. Well, that's what he believed. Ali was falling more than fighting. He showed the world he could take a punch, said Angelo Dundee, Ali's trainer. Dundee wanted Ali to move more, jab more. A plan is fine, sensible, but a 15-round fight can change a man, change any plan. And as Dundee admitted, Ali does what he likes. Ali needed to rest, sit on the ropes to get through the gruelling 15 rounds. Eddie Futch, working with Yank Durham in Frazier's corner, had repeatedly told Frazier to work the body each time Ali went back to the ropes. Frazier always obeyed orders. I never wanted to lose, never thought I would. But the thing that matters is how you lose. I'm not crying. My friends should not cry, said Ali. He praised Frazier as well. There was one jubilant group that night, the older American boxing writers, veterans and ancient columnists, a cartel of open hate. Red Smith was ecstatic. If they fought a dozen times, Joe Frazier would whip Muhammad Ali a dozen times and it would get easier as it went along. It never did. Red was wrong. They met twice more in the next four years and it got considerably harder for Joe Frazier. Huey McIlvenny, the finest sports writer of his generation in Britain and a massive Ali fan, observed the lopsided hate up close. They wanted a crucifixion, but if they think that is what they got, they are bad judges of the genre. The big man came out bigger than he went in. The aftermath was as dramatic as the fight. Yank Durham went into Ali's dressing room to congratulate him. There was a joke about a rematch and the pair split in $6 million. It was false gaiety. Everybody was worn out. Frazier was actually thinking of retiring and Durham backed the idea. The right side of Ali's face was swollen, grotesque. Ali was totally exhausted. We dressed him like a drunk, said Ali's fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco. Ali was taken to hospital for an x-ray on the jaw. He was not broken, just swollen. The x-rays were then stolen. They are still missing. Frazier went back to his hotel room, but he was hurting all over. 
asking for some type of relief from the pain. I couldn't urinate. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't eat or drink. My eyes were puffed and sensitive to light. My body had shut down from exhaustion. Frazier was transferred to St. Luke's Hospital in Philadelphia. His recovery was slow. He stayed by his own admission several weeks in a hospital bed. Frazier took the rest of the year off. He had made history, won the fight of the century and beaten Ali, and it had cost him. There would never be another night like it in my life, said Frazier. He was right. He would not fight again until January of the following year. Frazier was unbeaten in 27 contests, just 27 years of age. The fight game could take a dreadful toll on committed men. Ali was back in the ring a few months later and would fight three more times. And with every fight and in every round, he was improving. His first fight after Frazier was a strange one. He met his old friend and one-time amateur opponent from Louisville, Jimmy Ellis. It gets odder. Angelo Dundee was in Ellis's corner. Angelo managed Ellis, trained Ali. That meant he got a third of Ellis's purse. Angelo cleared it with Ali and the fight took place in front of 31,947 people at the Astrodome in Houston in June. Ali lost to Frazier, but he was still a major attraction. Ali had Bundini Brown and a veteran called Harry Wiley in his corner. It was a 12-round fight for the vacant NABF heavyweight title. Ellis was stopped in round 12, with just 50 seconds left on the clock. Ali had not even tried to carry his friend in those final seconds. When Ali had been in boxing exile, Ellis had paid him to be a sparring partner, a few hundred dollars to help with the bills. Ali was ruthless. Bundini, the man who invented float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, was often a divisive man in the corner. He had several run-ins with Dundee over the years. Bundini had been suspended by the New York Commission after the Frazier fight because he had thrown water at Ali, a desperate attempt to revive him when he was knocked over in the last round. He was Ali's man, make no mistake. But on occasion, he would even upset his boss. In November, Ali met Buster Mathis. Now, Mathis was a man mountain. Tough. Ali dropped him twice in the 11th and twice in the 12th. But he let Buster survive. And Buster was swaying, finished and waiting to be knocked out. In Ali's corner, Dundee was screaming, Take him out, damn it, Ali! The press were critical of Ali for not finishing Buster Mathis. Ali was not moved by criticism. How can I go to sleep at night knowing I have killed a man? On Boxing Day, December the 26th, Ali was in Switzerland to fight German Jürgen Blin. Ali won in the 7th and then went on a little trip to the Middle East. He sat with President Gaddafi in Libya, telling stories. Gaddafi reminded Ali that they had met. It was London, Highbury Stadium, 1966, after Ali beat Henry Cooper. I came to your dressing room for an autograph, Gaddafi said. Ali claimed he remembered. It is hard to invent this stuff. At the presidential palace in Tripoli, Ali also met President Idi Amin of Uganda. They chatted. The Ugandan despot had been an amateur boxer. Crazy stuff. Jean Kilroy, Ali's business manager and facilitator, 
always talked about kings, queens, presidents, rulers, bums, taxi drivers. Ali met them all and treated them all the same. There was one other fight that Ali came close to having in 1971. I thought this was nothing more than a joke, but it was very, very real in the end. Bob Arum, a promoter then and still a promoter four decades later, signed basketball legend Wilt Chamberlain to fight Ali. It was done and agreed. Wilt was in special training, working with Customato, manager and trainer of 60s heavyweight world champion Floyd Patterson, and soon to shape, build and create future champion Mike Tyson. Big Wilt, he was 7 foot 2 inches tall and weighed nearly 20 stone, fancied the job. However, at a press conference to announce the fight, it was in April, Chamberlain arrived and Ali hollered, Timber! Big Wilt was finished. He turned, he left the room, and the fight was off. In January of the year, Ali and Joe Louis and Sugar Ray Robinson had all gathered in Las Vegas with 700 other mourners for the funeral of former heavyweight world champion Sonny Liston. His wife, Geraldine, had found him dead in their apartment a few days earlier. Suicide, murder, mistake, natural causes, the debate continues. The old and new were lining up in a heavyweight business transformed by Ali's return. Patterson was still punching. Cleveland Big Cat Williams was in his 21st year as a professional. Oscar Bonavina, Jimmy Ellis, George Chevallo, Jerry Quarry, all still fighting, all dreaming of one more chance. It was a time for heavyweight dreamers. In Britain, Henry Cooper had his last fight. His 55th fight of a career that had started in 1954 when Joe Bugner, who was still only 21, beat him in front of 10,000 at Wembley Arena over 15 torrid rounds. It was a tight decision and Bugner received a lot of abuse. What did I do wrong? I was just a young fighter doing my job. Bugner told me in 2007 when I got him and Cooper together. It was the first time they had been together to talk about their fight. Cooper was still quite angry. Bugner still bemused by the abuse. There were wins for Ken Norton and Ernie Shavers, and Ron Lyle made his debut and stopped nine of his 11 victims. The future was looking very good. However, there was one man out in front. Fearsome, huge, and already the number two ranked contender, second only to Ali. George Foreman was 22 in 1971 and finished the year, he had seven wins and seven knockouts, with a record of 32 unbeaten. The week after the fight of the century, with Frazier recovering hospital, the boxing news in Britain ran a front cover. There was a cutout, dreadful bit of cropping to tell the truth, of Foreman's face. A malevolent look, a nasty glare and the headline, the face that haunts the champ. The Frazier and Foreman fight was still nearly two years away. The heavyweight championship had some fantastic nights to come. The extraordinary year ended. Ali and Frazier would do it all again in two more fights. Foreman would get his chance, so would Bugner, Shavers, Lyle and Norton. Champions, great fighters and men that would never be forgotten. The decade was two years old and already iconic. By November, Frazier had recovered and agreed a defence of his heavyweight championship in January 1972. The big guns were ready to get back in the ring. Arthur McCanty, the referee of the fight of the century, had a great line about Ali. McCanty refereed a few of his fights. 
If you could move with Ali, you had the best seat in the house. Lovely that. Not everybody could be that close, but everybody wanted to be part of the heavyweight boxing revolution. They were very special days, and Ali, Frazier and Foreman had some serious business left. If you're enjoying this tour through the best of boxing history, you can find more transcripts, archive videos, historical images in the boxing section of the Yahoo UK sports site. That's uk.sports.yahoo.com slash boxing. The history of the heavyweight championship is written and recorded by me, Steve Bunce, produced by Yahoo UK, with editing and sound design by Lolita Laguna. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.